0: WaveAct, the web-free software company that understands what you want. Hi everyone, welcome at WaveAct. Today with Marcus Thielen, who is Head of Research and Strategy at Metrixport. He's also former Chief Investment Officer at IDAC and uh, Human Investment Management. He's also former macro Portfolio Manager at Millennium and JP Morgan. And today we will talk about a really fancy, I would say, and more relevant than ever topic, and that's trillions were made in, uh, were made and billions were lost in the crypto market. I think every one of us uh, invested uh, in crypto, has lost some money, some made some money, so that could be a really exciting episode for you. And for that, Marcus, I'm really pleased to have you here. Thank you for taking the time and yeah, starting out I want to give you the opportunity to let us know a little bit about yourself, what you're working on, your passions, basically whatever you want to let us know.
1: Yeah, thanks for you know, for the opportunity to speak with you. Um, you know, I myself, you know, I you know was usually born and born and raised in Germany, left something like twenty five years ago, so left really like, you know, quite early. Uh, spent the majority of my time in, in Asia and of course also spent you know quite some time working for different uh, crypto firms you know and it just happened really that i worked for some really influential people in the in the crypto space and of course as you you know introduced myself was really uh i spent some time also in, in TradFi. you know worked for like big uh, hedge funds uh you know in various places from you know from hong kong to london and so on and um and i think really just happened that i you know the last few years i spent with really some of these I guess, crypto tycoons or some of these OGs in crypto who were really instrumental in really building the space. Um, and, you know, just got to know like a lot of people and it's happened that I, you know, wrote this book. Um, you know, some of those stories, you know, some of those people are in the book, met some of those people. And it really happened, for example, like last year when I was at the FTX conference in the Bahamas, you know, where you got together with a lot of those, you know, those kind of big people. And, you know, some of those stories that we were talking about, is that you know, why don't we put them all stories in the book and just for help everybody to understand really how crypto uh, markets actually work. So the industry works. And I think for a lot of people, it's a little bit like random, you know, but more happy, you know, to talk about it in a little bit more detail. Um, You know, then the second part of the question you asked, you know, so what am I doing right now? How is my day? Um, You know, of course, in this role, I'm, you know, had a research that means really, of course, being on top of all the, I guess, the projects the protocols, what is moving prices? You know when i come in in the morning i i usually run like you know a lot of models with so really like kind of like five thousand data sets that i that i look at and kind of like uh, it, it kind of you know selects what what are the trades uh what is happening where is data changing um and so on right and and also kind of who is doing what right i think you know like kind of more um for example like um you know bitcoin bitcoin cash right now has been like rallying the last few days um, you know, one thing we notice, of course, is that the Koreans are really buying. So one of the Korean exchanges uh, is really up it and they have like 80% market share in Korea. And it seems really like the number one token is really like, uh, you know, the Bitcoin cash, really. And I think it's kind of like a cheap way to express the view. Um, again, Korea is very retail driven. Uh, it's a big driver. And, you know, this has rallied really like 15, 20% of the last, I guess, really last 24 hours. And and I think these kind of like, the things we're looking at is really just being... Being aware of it, and that's kind of also the difference between retail and institutions. Really, you have a lot more access to the data. You kind of ideally you know what's going on, and you're really ahead of the prices, and you kind of then come up with ideas how, how things change. But it's really uh, the role is really that I'm you know having right now is really to give advice to the traders, to talk with institutional hedge funds, you know, around the world in the space, and just being 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 on top of everything.
0: Awesome. That sounds super interesting when you talk about hedge funds right uh, we all anticipated or see that institutional uh, institutions are pushing forward uh, towards crypto right even if it happens really slowly uh, I've obvious reasons because regulation is oftentimes not in place or not sufficiently and what I'm interested in how what's your perception from a personal standpoint how open Are these hedge funds uh, by investing into crypto? Are they more like, oh, well, I know Bitcoin and that's, you know, something I want to put just for the sake of diversification a little bit into that basket. Or is it more offensive? Offensive? I would love to know.
1: Yeah, I think really it depends on on the market environment, right? So those kind of, you know, call them macro tourists. You know, you kind of had them like two years ago when the market was really ripping um, you know, we had, of course, Paul Jones, the famous hedge fund manager and in the U.S. really came in the market. But, of course, when the prices drop, those people don't have an interest anymore. And that's why they're sort of like tourists. They're just coming when there's really, you know, a, a strong trend. And I think in a market like, like this right now, where the market is more kind of you know defined by, by perps, you know, perp futures and spots, so you have more arbitrage hedge funds. And these are really pure crypto hedge funds you don't have those multi-strategy hedge funds in the market right now anymore and i think the other thing that also i think got pretty decimated uh, i guess over the last kind of like six to 12 months is really like more directional uh crypto focused hedge funds because of course you know they usually are very very long sometimes even levered long and when the market goes down as we have seen these last retrace uh, these these big retracements they lose a lot of money so those people are gone Um, And then also, again, as I was saying earlier, those those kind of multi strategy uh, macro tourist hedge funds are gone. So the only really hedge funds you have right now trading is really those those uh, market delta neutral funds. But of course, um, they can make some money. They they make like 15 to 25 percent return in this market, but they're also paying kind of like 12 percent or sometimes even more borrow rate for, you know, for USDT. Uh, as a stable coin is getting access to it so so be made right now and I think uh, you know of course I would argue that this year the market has opened up again uh, so it's really like a more like a long only market I would say and if you have like the right kind of you know call you can make a lot of money but again the hedge funds that are really active right now and this is you know partially of course because of the the cross exchange arbitrage has been you know pretty much impaired with FTX going down because a lot of people were arbitraging, you know fdx versus versus binance uh, and so on and you know we can talk about this of course why there was this arbitrage but of course with with FTX being gone you only have like Binance, and then you know and then people move to kind of like spot versus prop trading
0: mm-hmm. uh, well when you were talking about arbitrage usually uh, you know I'm not a financial expert by far mm-hmm. so please correct me if I'm wrong arbitrage just means uh, Flattening the price across different exchanges in that case, right? So Usually when there is arbitrage By nature it goes away, right? Because people are making money if they have the knowledge and the resources of I wouldn't say exploit but use that arbitrage at their advantage, right? So I would love to know your insights Why you think uh, that arbitrage was all present or is it just regular algorithmic trading in that case?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit, you know, for example, if you have uh, a U.S.-based venture capital company that, that receives a lot of token because of their investment that they maybe have uh, in, in Axie Infinity, and of course there the data is very well known, that there's a long lockup coming. So basically, in you know, VC investor in, let's say, in Austin and Texas invests, you know, $10 million in Axie Infinity for that, they get tokens. And then every year, basically, they're getting released Let's say a million or two million dollars worth of tokens uh, or you know sometimes more and of course every time this is released um, they can sell the spot but to hedge themselves already because Axie infinities have gone up a lot they can hatch already and sell perp futures so while they don't have the tokens yet but they can hedge themselves with selling these perp futures and of course this sometimes has an you know a negative annualized uh, yield of let's say minus 50% and this is what we have seen you know, for really like many, many months last year. Uh, and then of course, uh, you know, there exists this large discount. So somebody can go on and, and basically buy these discounted futures, uh, borrow the Axie Infinity token from maybe a treasury, uh, you know, holders that they have uh, and then short them in the market pay, of course, a fee from it. But net net can make money with, you know, with it, Right. And sometimes really you have because you have different players trading on different exchanges, right? There may be. You know a USVC fund might not trade on binance and therefore the binance price is higher and you know depending of course which direction you are but it's really like spotting those kind of opportunities uh and again a lot of USVC investors tended to prefer ftx and especially because ftx was more like a derivatives focused exchange uh, that's why the the futures tended to trade at the d- steeper discount than on binance and that's why people were kind of buying sometimes on, you know, these futures discounted and selling them on, on Binance and so on. And this is what people did. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um, when, when you're talking about uh, futures derivatives uh, of all kinds, um, th- that's just my personal assumption, right? Yep. I think the uh, DeFi market for futures and so on will be huge, right? It's one of the largest markets, if not the largest market uh, in traditional as well right so what do you think about uh, futures on chain or do you what I think institutionals will uh, always tend to prefer off-chain other like centralized uh, futures on top of crypto
1: I think they are really like two steps now and I think it's pretty clear that the market is going now to the assumption that actually centralized exchanges where there's a little bit more control um really the preferred uh, i think avenues for some of those big institutions but i think down the road you know give another two three years i think you will see a lot more decentralized i think it just takes like a little bit longer because there is really this overhead of regulation now in place and it's really um you know making sure that you know who's the counterparty that the counterparty is really uh, properly you know compliant and really this is the kyc anti-money laundering you know compliance checks that need to be done uh, which you really don't have on these uh on these decentralized uh, protocols really, right there's nobody who does like a kyc really on you and everything and and i think this is where where these institutions actually have a problem really tr- you know dealing with the counterparty because you know what does it mean if let's say blackrock uh trades with you know through some protocol with let's say a north korean hacker group for example right i mean I think this is going to be, you know, a big compliance problem from for BlackRock internally, and I think this is what needs to be like figured out. And uh, and again, that's why I think the first step is really now having these institutions uh, coming into crypto, onboarding them, and maybe providing the right avenues. Uh, and this is really like a centralized exchange that can be a little more in control, but maybe that's really just like necessary because I think the control has been just unfortunately really been abused from a lot of a lot of players in the industry.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, um, just for a recap, because I just got it into my mind, you were talking yeah. before about Korean exchanges, for example, today, right, because uh, a certain asset uh, increased. Um, what would be, let's say, we, we all see that the U.S. Uh, cracks down on crypto, right? So i would be interested how you view asian markets especially as you have been for a long time in asia how you view that mentality versus us versus europe right because from the outside it looks quite obvious what's going to happen but i would love to know what you from a little bit more kind of an insight insider perspective what you think about that
1: yeah i mean actually that's really like a good point because from the outside it looks really obvious right and And as you said uh it's quite interesting when you look at the history and this is what really like you know this book is actually really about to really help people get really uh, you know a fast track understanding of how regulation has actually changed and moved for example the crypto market around and moved uh, projects around as well so we had for example regulation in early 2013 uh coming in the us so basically a lot of the crypto firms needed a money transmitter license and this was costly You know, U.S. has, you know, 50 states. So you need for every state a different license. You know, it takes like a lot of effort, a lot of money and just like time. And I think this is what really kind of like blocked it, everything. And then the crypto industry moved actually really in early 2013 from the U.S. to Asia, because at the same time, China was becoming extremely uh, friendly. For example, the the local China state TV uh, ran a, a 30 minute documentary and really praising Bitcoin as a new form of money. And a few, and a few months later, you know, a few things happened. You had like Baidu, which is the China, you know, the China version of Google, uh, also suddenly accepting Bitcoin for some of the online payment services. And then Bitcoin went up, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, really in within like two months. So we had actually 5,400 percent return in 2013 with the biggest move, a from the U.S. really sort of like blocking it and putting in a crime enforcement uh, regulatory action. Um, of course you had like you know the Cyprus the sovereign debt crisis in Europe, and also like a small impact. but the real impact was really that China became you know very friendly. And for example, uh, what I like to do right now is really run, let's say, some data where I just accumulate all the performance. let's say over the last months of Bitcoin doing us. trading hours compared to Asian trading hours compared to European trading hours. And it's actually quite a surprise because let's say over the last one month, Bitcoin is up 10%, but if you have only bought Bitcoin when the U.S. wakes up and kind of sells it, when Bitcoin, when when the U.S. goes to bed, you would have actually been up 16%. And if you do the same thing for Asia hours, you actually would have been down 7%. So you can, of course, argue that, well, on the one side, what we had uh, at the beginning of, you know, of the 30 days, uh, was really, of course, the whole Binance issue with the Binance uh, lawsuit and everything. And this is, of course, when Bitcoin has sold off and Asia was really a heavy seller of Bitcoin then. And But at the, at the flip side, the positive news we have heard about BlackRock, you know, applying for an ETF, a Bitcoin ETF. Uh, they, all this performance has really, you know, also been generated during U.S. trading hours only. So, yes, it's exactly as you said, on the surface, it really appears as if, if the U.S. is turning its back on crypto and... you you should be running as far away from it but it still seems actually that the big money movements are happening during trading hours so i think you can argue that well maybe people are not too concerned right or not they're they're not really involved in in you know in in altcoins anymore maybe because altcoins have also been like you know underperforming and this is like a little different story because this is also i think connected to all the bull markets what we have seen again and again it goes back to the book and explains a little bit of history and that, the, you know, answers the question, should you bet on altcoins or should you just be on long you know, Bitcoin right now? But I think right now, to answer your question, is really the U.S. is still a meaningful force, despite so many people are trying to really write it off. Uh,
0: absolutely. I, I don't think uh, the U.S. will ever mm-hmm. become irrelevant to the crypto market, yeah. right? For that, it has too much power over the world, economic uh, economics, right? Um, but that's a really interesting take and one thing that immediately comes to my mind is when we talk about while it's up during u.s trading hours is that mostly driven do do you know that by retail or the so-called smart money what's what's your view on that or what do you know about it
1: Well, well it's of course difficult to know right because it's not that people have to register for example if you trade you know u.s stock futures you have to register if you are if you are, let's say, a hedge fund, or if you, you know, been somebody else, and I think it's very difficult uh, for the crypto market to really apply this because there is no real regulation. But I would assume that there are enough institutions in the U.S. that are sizable, uh, also in the crypto space. Um, but of course, you also have a lot of uh, Bitcoin miners now in the U.S. Right? You, of course, you had a big Bitcoin mining crackdown. Kind of like two years ago and a lot of those miners moved of course some moved to Kazakhstan, but a lot moved to the us uh you know some into canada as well they're listed there on the stock market so really to just you know raise capital and buy more machines and of course these people are not just mining it and selling it they're kind of like mining it holding it buying more leveraging themselves and are also like very very sophisticated player around this but my my understanding is uh would say if, if you apply it from the us from yeah, from from the stock market is that Asia tends to be more retail focused and more retail driven, and U.S. is simply more institutional institutional focused. So, I would actually make the claim and make the statement that U.S. is driven by institutions also in crypto, uh, because we know that we have a lot a lot of hedge funds there who you know who control you know multi billion you know positions in in crypto. The VCs are quite active and so on, and we know a lot of VCs also went into cash, and of course see themselves as underweight and i think for for a fund manager it's it's a lot worse to underperform right as a retail investor you can like sit out the market is say like oh you know i'm missing the rally but if you're a fund manager at one point you have to buy it. and i think this is why we have seen these like sharp moves up to us hours because a lot of those funds were again under and they just had to buy
0: that's an interesting take because that's something that i heard also from the traditional finance space right now at right? our traditional uh, basically all about stocks and so on right they need to get in to not underperform so that's uh I, i would say from an investment perspective good development in general at least for retail right because yeah um so there's one let's say major strategy many crypto ogs follow right that i'm pretty sure you know that pseudo rainbow uh, chart basically uh, for the crypto cycles um, where many people claim that's uh, bs or nonsense while others uh, strictly follow that and i just because i have my own strong opinion about it and i would really know from uh, an expert like you what you think, not about the cycles in general, but how you think this kind of price discovery maybe ends, or I, I don't want the price prediction from you, but what are what you think in terms of vol- uh, volatility, right? What you think, uh, just regarding all the is coming in and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, so, you know, the one, of course, is a stock-to-flow model that people look at, right, every time around the having, you know, but, but I think, you know, of course, the problem is that we don't really have, like, a lot of data points, right? We can go for, like, 10, back, like, 10 years, but then that's it, because we only have also then sort of, like, two or three halving cycles, really, that, that really matter. Um, but, for example, if, you know, I did this analysis and it looked at the last two halving cycles, and it turned out, actually, that the ideal buying time was around fifteen to sixteen months before the next halving. And this is something, you know, published and there's a you know research report out and you know, it's published even like on LinkedIn, for example. So I published a lot of my stuff on LinkedIn. And I think it was published on October twenty eighth. And this is when we last year, this is when we told people to buy it. And of course Bitcoin was like at seventeen thousand and everybody was so focused it's going to go to fifteen thousand and of course you can be like really cute and you know at one point you know, well, am I going to get really the absolute low or you should just like kind of like, you know, leg in really. And I think that was kind of our analysis. But it was really that the ideal buying time was really this 15 to 16 months. And it's a little bit of moving target. Right. When is the exact timing? Because it depends on on, you know, how many transactions are going to be done. But, you know, people were already estimating uh, it's going to be around like March, April, May 2024. So the ideal timing again, we wrote about it, uh, October 28th. And this was really the time when, when you get something like, a, like a 200% rally with a, you know, yes. I mean, you said no price target, but based on this having cycle and based on the two previous having the having, uh, you know, projection was something around like 63,000 by, by then let's say March, April, May next year. And of course when we were at seventeen thousand, people were saying, Oh, this, this you know doesn't sound credible. It's like two hundred percent. Of course we have done, you know, a lot more in, in crypto and in Bitcoin, right? We had much stronger rallies. But of course now we are like, you know, early thirties here. Well, it's just hundred percent anymore, right? I mean it's not it's not too far away, right? So if you look at it in percent, it's it's definitely doable because we have rallied like, you know, a couple of hundred percent into havings before. Of course those rallies are gonna be more and more difficult because it takes a lot more a capital really uh, to really be, be a force in the market but but i think you know 100 it's still possible so i mean our year and target is is sort of like 45k and this is from and this is from uh february 1st this year so you know when bitcoin was at 22,000, so um you know it's it's again i mean i, lo- I work with a lot of numbers so and it's made of it, you know it's made of some quantitative analysis and this is how we just all come up with these numbers we compare the cycles and then to
0: understand where sort of like the projection is awesome awesome okay yeah uh definitely really interesting to watch this uh play out right especially with the bitcoin etfs hopefully coming up um because i'm not sure if they're already approved i think it's just the proposal right i want to uh to launch yeah, this it from BlackRock. at least yeah. yeah um yeah from that standpoint i would say marcus do you maybe have three key takeaways: three things that you want people to remember from this cool episode
1: yeah i think people should you know do their own homework right think really if it's the right time uh, they should really just trying also to time the market a a little bit better right i think the difference between retail and institutions is you know institutions have like a framework right they're really like aware uh, when big policy changes are coming when is a good time to buy right it's 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 very simple very similar with, with, for example, with the stock market, right? You don't really act on news on Bloomberg or CNBC or something, right? It's really, um, you know, you really want to kind of improve your odds, right? And really trying to buy at those cycle lows, right? And if you would have bought, let's say, these kind of 15, 16 months before the halving, you would look very good, right? And, you know, some people have the intuition to buy then. Others have a framework. Um, That's, I think, really number, number one, right? I mean, number two, institutional adoption, I think, is continuing and adoption in general is continuing as well there are around like 420 million people having cryptocurrency holdings so this is of course a large number but it's still a really small number in you know in the world but i think uh, interest is is you know it's quite high from everybody i mean there's not one event where i go to you know it doesn't have to be a crypto event where people want to talk about cryptos so anybody figures out how you're in crypto and everybody has a view so it's really i think what draws in a lot of people and I think it's really kind of uh, where you just ideally you should just stay with the winners, right? I mean, one lesson also uh, from, let's say, the previous bull market is, you know, the 2017 bull market is that actually some of those altcoins never really made a new high. And I think this is also something very, um, very important to keep in mind that maybe the, the you know, the, the altcoins that made in, you know, that were really the darlings of the 2021 bull market. Maybe those ones will not be the ones that are making the, the new high in the next market. Bitcoin probably, right, because we also know that these institutions right now, they will be buying Bitcoin, but maybe there will be new altcoins, right? So this is really also, I personally would think, you know, play it safe, stay with Bitcoin. You get some exposure and as long as the market grows, you will participate. at the same time, you don't take too much unnecessary risk.
0: Awesome. Love that. and. Uh, last shout out to Marcus, uh, great book. Check it out. I will put the link into the video description as well. So thanks again, Marcus, for taking the time uh, speaking today. And I think we all learned a lot. And for that, we'd say, yeah, have a great day. Perfect. Thank you. Wave Act, the web-free software company that understands what you want.